0: Chapter Seven. Money in the previous Chapter Six, we listen to Shard's date in the ensuing riot, and The nursing mother and the Native American provide clues to Landry's death. Johnson inadvertently provokes female fisticuffs in the perky parlor in Chapter Seven. Johnson learns about Landry's debt and hop along Cassidy's heroism. The Kaiser passes along vital gossip just before someone murders Misty in the perky parlor. Periwinkle finds the ULC Land Company is tied to an oddball collection of mobsters. So we're off. Chapter 7. Johnson interrupted Shard's musings. I'm back from Smytheville and still in one piece. Just barely. You want to hear what was in Landry's safe deposit box first? Or would you rather have me relate the outcome of the first perky parlor war. As intrigued as I am by your beauty parlor gossip, I'm more interested in Landry's safe deposit box. Guess what we found in it. Surprise me. This will. The box was empty. Except for one thing. He didn't keep the usual stuff in his box. Deed, will, old coins, paper money and all that stuff. Not even any jewelry. Will you get on with it? He left a note. Shard jerked upright. A note? What did it say? Come on, come on, come on. Out with it. You got it all wrong, boss. It wasn't that kind of a note. It was a note for the money he had borrowed. Are you ready for this? I've been ready for the last ten minutes, Johnson. Just tell me. He was in hock for a $100,000. Whoa! This guy didn't do anything by halves. I wonder what he used for collateral, his house? I don't know, but I know who lent him the money. Shard waited. Do you think you could tell me? Johnson loved this game when he had interesting information. First National Bank of Albany. Shard's mind roamed through the bits and pieces he had collected in the last nine days and came to an abrupt halt in Whitry's office. That's the same bank that Robert E. Lee drew his checks on to pay Whitry. That has to be more than a coincidence. The same bank that's paying Whitry to buy land in Mohawk County loans a large sum to Landry to do God knows what? Lendry must have put up everything he owned as collateral for that kind of money. As far as the chief and I could tell, the note was a personal loan. It didn't mention collateral. It was due in four months. He had had it for a little over one. I can look up the exact date, but when he was killed, he still had plenty of time to pay. Why would anyone kill him before he repaid his debt? Reminds me of the story of Ivar the Boneless when he left Dublin. Yeah, 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 Shard interrupted before the Boneless conquered half of England and with it shards train of thought. Let me think about this. Whitchery's buying land here using money from the same Albany bank, but buying it for Lee. At the same time, Landry's borrowing money on his good name from the bank. Why a bank so far away? There are plenty of banks around here that can handle loans of that size. Is Whichery using Landry's money to buy the land? If so, where does Lee fit into this? I wonder if he also borrowed money from the Albany bank. Good questions, huh? One thing is clear, and that's if Landry really did have a big deal going, and it looks as if he did, then it had something to do with land speculation. But why speculate up here? Land values in Mohawk County are depressed right now. Except, of course, for that damn casino. But nobody knows where that's going, except Johnny L- Little John. He's someone we ought to talk to. Funny you should say that. I saw him this morning and he wouldn't tell me if the casino was going to go on the Alptag farm. He did tell me that his casino corporation was buying its land through the United Land Company, which is buying acreage on the QT to keep land costs down. You don't think that Wittry, Landry, and Lee were buying land on speculation, hoping that the ULC would pay their lands for the casino, would buy their lands for the casino. In which case, the three could raise their selling price and make some big money. But how would they know where the casino is going? Little John has never heard of Landry or Lee. And I certainly never would have guessed that the casino corporation would be interested in the Optake Farm. It's way the hell out in the middle of nowhere. We don't know that the ULC is buying the farm. All we know is it's paying the surveying costs out there. But I agree. That would make it seem as if the ULC planned to purchase the land, Johnson said and thereby make Lee a very nice chunk of money, Shard said. But how would Lee, an outsider, know that the ULC would have the slightest interest in that farm? I don't have the slightest idea, Johnson said. On another subject, I called Mrs. Waters this morning. She thought the car could have been either red or maroon, and Emma nursed well this morning. Good. I don't know if Mrs. Waters is congratulating the nurser or the nursee, I only wish she'd use the same intensity to focus on the car. By the way, she still sticks to the story that she saw two guys haul Landry back into the car, and that one of them was the biggest man she'd ever seen. He ought to be easy to find. Big men stand out. We know some Vikings were big. Eric the Red, for instance, had, had been well over six feet tall because he, quote, served in the king's bodyguard. Everybody knows that. Even us English types, Perry Winkle said as she came in and case the chairs she had on slacks so she decided to brave the wastebasket what was in the box she asked johnson told her what he found that's interesting she said maybe we've been right all along landry was tied in with whitry and lee in some sleazy land deal but if if that's so how did the three of them get together as far as we know they didn't know each other landry and whitry lived on opposite ends of the county and lee a hundred miles away If we could find that connection, it would help us unravel this thing. Good point. Something to think about, Shard said. But what did my super sleuth come up with regarding Whitry's peregrinations on Sunday? Not much. He was in Schuyler's on Sunday night. O'Reilly and a couple of the regulars noted noted nothing unusual about him. O'Reilly thought he left about 10 or 10.30 when the crowd thinned and swore Whitry was as sober as the proverbial deacon. I've never seen him inebriated, Shard said. He either drinks very little or holds it well. I lost him after that, I assume he went straight home. It was a lousy night, so I doubt he took a long walk for fresh air. And for your edification, I did run into Luke down the street and bought him and his friends a couple of doughnuts. Luke didn't see Whittry that night. He thought he was sleeping in the post office about then, but hasn't much concept of time. That doesn't make sense. "'We know he was lying in the middle of the street at midnight,' Johnson said. "'It's possible he ducked into the post office every once in a while to get warm. "'In any event, he claims he didn't see Whitry Sunday night. "'So Whitry's trailed dead ends at Schuyler's front door. "'Sorry, boss.' "'That's okay. Odds are he just went home. "'By the way, boss, how'd your date with Ellen go Saturday? "'Sorry I was there when she showed up. I didn't know she was coming.' "'Johnson's eyebrows shot up. She was at Shard's?' Shard played to Johnson's surprise. I'm glad you stopped by. How'd you like the new scotch? Very, very nice, Periwinkle said. She knew what Shard was doing. I thought so, too. I have to tell you that Ellen said that you are a very attractive young woman. Periwinkle regretted she started the conversation. Johnson would ask her about it the minute they left Shard's office. Thanks. The next time I'll call before I drop in. That's okay, Shard said. I enjoyed your visit. Along with the fire, you cheered the old place up. The fire? Johnson wondered. Now we have some work to do, folks. Wait a minute, Johnson said. I haven't told you about the Perky Parlor War. I gotta get a hero's medal for stop the what? Periwinkle asked. Johnson gave them a complete, bow by blow description. You should have heard what they called each other. Women are really vicious, much worse than men. Candace even threatened to kill Misty. Periwinkle started to say something, but decided against it. "'Have you ever heard of a fat, flat-chested cow boss? Johnson asked. "'Can't say as I have,' Shard said. "'But from what you say, it appears that Landry was not that broke. He must have used his child support money to entertain his girlfriends, or at least one of them. If Misty's telling the truth.' "'You think she was?' "'Yeah, she had the bracelet on, and Candace obviously believed her, enough to scratch her face up,' Johnson said. Maybe she knew that Landry was a two-faced liar. So Candace would believe anything Misty claimed, Shard said. Well, we've learned something about Landry from all this, but let's get back to the note he left in his box. Periwinkle call Landry's ex to see if she knows anything about this note. If she does, find out what he intended to do with a $100,000. He borrowed it well after he bought Misty, Misty the bracelet. So we know he didn't use it for that. I rather doubt the ex-wife knows anything, but it's worth a try. And if he if he often borrowed money, we'd like to know that too. He got that money somewhere for the bracelet. It might be useful to ask if he gambled. If he did, we may be on the wrong track. And Johnson, I hate to make you do this again, but go see the ever-attractive Rosemary to find out how much the Opdyke farm sold for. It would be interesting if it sold for exactly a hundred thousand, wouldn't it? although I don't know how we'd tie Landry to the sale even if it were for the exact amount he borrowed. His name's not on anything, and while you're there, see if Landry owns any land up this way. Shard went over to his file cabinet, pulled out the folder marked P, and took out a camel. Johnson and Periwinkle's eyes ask, Why the P file? To answer your unasked question, P stands for puff. Secondly, I'm going to have lunch because it's past my feeding hour and then see the Kaiser for the second time today to allay his fears about Native American land sales, gamblers, murderers, protesters, rampa- rampaging beauticians, and elections. I'll promise him that you'll have the Landry case closed by evening and that you guys will let him take credit for it. Monday noon, Shard's office. Shard sat in Schuyler's and thought about what he knew. A tenth of a million dollars was an awful lot of money for a bank to lend a down-at-the-heels country lawyer. Well, maybe his heels were okay, but nothing else about his life seemed secure enough to make such a loan. Maybe Landry had a co-signer. I forgot to ask Johnson. But who would co-sign for a guy whose house and life were in disrepair? Back at his office, he found Johnson settled comfortably in his chair. I had a great lunch, he said. Rosemarie forgot to bring hers, so I took her to Patel's. She's wonderful. You're right about that, my boy. But remember, she's very married and has kids. What did you find out? For starters, Landry owns his Smytheville house and nothing else in the county. And our friend Mr. Lee paid $200,000 for the farm. A nice round number, don't you think? Too round. The place has about 100 acres, and that makes $2,000 an acre. That's a lot for acreage around here, don't you think? What's exactly one half of the purchase price? Johnson looked at him as if he'd lost his marbles. $100,000. Then it sank in. Oh, I like that, boss. That's a nice number. But it begs the question of where the other 100,000 came from. Want to guess? Sure. The same Albany bank that loaned Landry his money. All roads seem to lead to that bank. But boss, let's be realistic. Banks don't murder people, especially when they're into them for six figures. Shard agreed, but he couldn't resist following this train of thought. Do you think an eyewitness could pick the guilty bank out of a lineup? Maybe if the guilty banker dressed like a Viking. Did I ever tell you about the time Eagle substituted a home gang for a weaker man? Yes, exactly 13 times, thank you. And Eagle didn't fight a bank. Johnson looked hurt, but Shard knew it was a front. Johnson just wanted to irritate him. How can we find out if Landry's money was one half the purchase price and who put up the other half? It seems simple to me, boss. Oh? We follow the paper. Lee bought the place. It seems reasonable that he put up the other half, or at least some serious money, to have the farm put in his name. Give him a ring and ask him, will you? Shard said. You may be right but we can't find him. What if the ULC put up the other half? Or maybe provided Landry's half as well through the Albany Bank. Maybe the ULC is the real owner of the farm and uses Lee as a front man. Hell, maybe the ULC owns the bank, I don't know. That takes us back to the point we made earlier. Has a land company ever killed anyone? What possible motive would it have to murder Landry "'if he was into it or its bank for that much money?' Johnson asked. "'All my life I've heard of evil land companies knocking innocent people off. "'Haven't you ever watched a western in which a bunch of outsiders, "'all hard drinkers and gamblers, "'ride into town to buy up the poor widow's ranch? "'Because they know it's the only spread around that has water. "'That's why we needed Hopalong Cassidy. "'Widows could have died of thirst all over the West if it hadn't been for Hoppy.' Hoppy, Johnson said. Hoppy? I can't believe we're having this conversation. No, I never saw Hoppy or the Widows. But if the Widows were attractive enough, I might write one of his movies. Periwinkle appeared and saw that she had lost out on a seat. To her surprise, Shard left his chair and sat down in the wastebasket. He didn't say a word, and Periwinkle slipped into the still warm visitor's chair. Well, boss, I see why you gave me the job of dealing with Landry's ex. Perry Winkle said. "'God, is she a bear!' "'It took me forever to get hold of her "'until finally I connected with her cell phone. "'Do you think that maybe Philadelphia has no cell towers? "'Or maybe City Council drops small aluminum rectangles "'from great heights all day "'to disrupt wireless conversations?' "'I couldn't understand half of what she said, "'and the half I could, I didn't want to hear. "'Boy, does she hate Landry.' "'Let me guess,' Shard said. "'She didn't know about the loan?' and did some quick calculations that told her that her children were not likely to get a dime from Landry's estate. And then she worried whether she might in some way be responsible for the loan's repayment. Right? On the spot, boss. But you left out the venom and the vitriol. Can that woman swear? Wow. Most of that language came through clearly. Did you find out anything at all other than what we expected? She'd never heard that Landry gambled? but wouldn't put anything past them. From there, she secured into the intimate descriptions of all of Landry's women. My gut feeling is that he didn't borrow the money to repay a gambling debt, if the X is to be believed. I also asked if she or Landry had ever done business with the First National Bank of Albany. Good girl, Shard said. Had they? She's never heard of it, and asked why they would go to Albany to bank when they had a perfectly good one in Smytheville but she wasn't sure where Landry did his office banking. That gave her a perfect jumping-off point to rant about how her honorable husband paid for his floozies. I know that's not very helpful, boss, but at one point she did say, and this is an exact quote, if the bastard was still alive, I'd kill him. Isn't this the second threat to kill someone we've had today? Shard asked. At this rate, we'll have a stack of bodies by week's end. Yeah, but his ex's threat made me think. Did she have any reason to kill him? Or is she mad because someone beat her to it? I can't see what she gains from his death, Shard said, unless she thought he had money stashed. But even then, she had to figure he'd written her out of his will. I suppose she might have believed she'd control the money Landry left her children, at least until they grew up. I don't believe the old dictum that most murders are committed by somebody close to the victim holds in this case. "'If she was close to Landry, I'd hate for anybody to get that close to me,' Periwinkle said. "'Okay, that's settled,' Shard said one of his more off-the-wall pronouncements. Johnson and Periwinkle recognized that his mind was out of sync with his mouth. He was deep in thought. They had seen him mentally wander away before and settle down to wait for him to finish his peregrinations through the criminal realms. Several minutes passed as Shard strummed his fingers on the side of the wastebasket. I know what I need, he said, as he picked up a beer mug full of pencils on his desk. He turned it upside down, spilling the pencils all over the desk and floor. Johnson and Periwinkle noticed that he caught the camel before it hit the desk. They waited patiently. Finally, Shard's eyes focused on them, and he said, Johnson was right when he said we should trace the paper. Money is paper. Trace the money. It keeps going back to the Albany Bank. Landry and the United Land Company, and maybe Witchery and Lee. We can't find Lee, can't get information about Whittry's finances, and haven't had a chance to bust into the bank's records. That leaves us with the land company. I bet it's a private company, but it still has to register with the state. I want you guys to find everything out you can on the United Land Company. Who owns it? When was it chartered? Who runs it? Where does it own land? Anything and everything. Especially anything that has to do with Mohawk County and the casino. Red flag any mention of Whitry. Landry, Lee, Little John, the Kaiser, and anyone else you've heard of. I know land companies only kill widows. But, and Shard winked at Johnson. Periwinkle looked baffled. She wondered if Shard was all the way back into the room. But we're going to play hoppy and save them in their water, Shard continues. We need this information yesterday. Periwinkle knows how to force her PC to talk Western and Johnson. You know the paths and trails to the waterholes. Out of earshot, Periwinkle asked, What was all that gibberish about? You seem to make sense of it, which only means you're hanging on to your sanity by the slimmest thread, too. Widows and waterholes and trails? Oh, and don't forget Hoppy, whoever he is. A rabbit? You don't know who Hoppy is? I can't believe it. You must have misspent your childhood playing with Barbies. Everyone has seen Hopalong Cassidy. Even if they have, what does Mr. Cassidy have to do with the land company? I can almost understand water. I suppose trails are roads to the lands. Oh, the hell with it. Let's get fresh coffee, drink to Hoppy and his widows, and get to it before the boss comes to and sends us out on even more snowy trails. Monday afternoon. The sheriff's office. Shard decided it was time to beard the Kaiser. It's my lucky day, Shard said to Hilda. I get to see you twice. Is the boss available? He just got off the phone and he has a political meeting in 25 minutes, so if you keep it short, you'll be all right. The Kaiser was sitting behind his desk in the exact pose he had held six hours earlier. Hi, boss. I thought I'd bring you up to date on a few things. Shard skipped the weather report. He told the Kaiser what he had learned. I've put all this together and I fear that you won't like the way I see it right now. Try me. It all ties to the United Land Company, which is buying land for the casino and the First National Bank of Albany, which lent Landry his money. I think Landry put up one half the cash for the farm out there. That attracted the protesters and gave your finance committee chairman fits. What I need to find out is who put up the rest of the money. If I can put these two pieces together. I'll have a pretty good idea of who wanted Landry dead and why. The Kaiser shifted in his chair. You're right. I don't like this a bit. Are you saying that the people who have promised to fund my campaign might be involved in Landry's murder? Not exactly, Sir, Shard said, trying to leave a little wiggle room. I think there might be a connection outside Leiden. I don't think Little John or the Mohawks are involved. Why would they want Landry dead? I'm less certain about the land company and the Albany Bank. I want to follow the money trail. There was evidence of an awful lot of it in Landry's safe deposit box. All I need to know is who put up the other $100,000 in the Opdyke deal. Periwinkle and Johnson are looking into the land company right now. The Kaiser rearranged his bulk. Shard recognized that it was a sign that he was trying to make up his mind about something. I can give you a piece of information that might be helpful. Last Saturday night, when it snowed, as I predicted, we were out at the club where I chatted with Wilmer Ottinger, the banker. He told me in confidence—that's why I'm not sure I should repeat it—that George Whittry was into him. That's what he said. Into him. For exactly a hundred thousand. Ottinger was nervous about getting repaid. "'Yes!' Charlotte Shard said as he clenched his fist and gave the air of vicious uppercut. You are a miracle worker, sir. That's exactly what I needed to know. Ah, but you can't tell anyone I told you. Trust me, sir, I won't, he said, with all his digits crossed. Monday evening in Smytheville. Misty locked up the perky parlor after the last customer left and walked downtown past Landry's office. She was tempted to stop in the lounge for a few drinks, but didn't want the guys to see the scratches down her cheek. Even though she had slathered them with makeup, they still looked red and raw. Instead, she started walking the few blocks to her apartment. As she stepped off the curb in front of a small alley, she heard somebody say, Psst! Psst! A man, partially obscured in the late afternoon winter shadows, beckoned to her with his forefinger. She walked halfway down the alley before she recognized him. Oh, hi, she said with a lilt in her voice. The man reached out, grabbed her wrist, and drove his fist into her stomach so hard she doubled over and exhaled exhaled all her breath with a surprisingly quiet oomph. Before she could straighten up, he slammed her so hard on the side of her head that she went tumbling to the ground where she lay curled up in the fetal position. "'You little two-bit piece of shit,' he hissed. "'Candace told me you screwed the asshole lawyer that got killed.' She said he paid you with expensive gee and took you on trips. You know what that makes you? A whore. That's what. Trash. Crap. Scum. Dirt. Lower than my dogs. You don't understand, Misty said breathlessly. I just went for a weekend with him. Nothing happened. I love you, not him. Lying sack of shit. You went with him for the weekend and did nothing? Bullshit. You never got out of bed. "'I'll bet he couldn't stand up on Monday.' "'No,' she said weakly. "'Where did that shyster lawyer get the money to pay you off?' "'I don't know.' "'Who killed him?' "'I don't know.' "'Bullshit. I don't believe you.' "'What was he doing in Leiden?' "'I don't know.' "'You liar! Between screwings he must have told you something about what he was doing. "'You know he could really fuck up my business. "'Who was he working with?' "'Talk! Talk!' I didn't ask about his work. I bet. You were too busy screwing him. No, I... You know the chances I took to see you? I could have lost my job if they found out I'd been... I'd have been done. They'd have thrown me out. Then where would I go? I lose all that money. My big chance for a payoff. And what the hell were you doing? Spreading your legs for every scumbag in town. Jesus! I should have known you were trash. I'm not trash. I love you, she said. Sure. You think I'm going to believe you? I don't believe you. You don't know what he was doing at Leiden? Well, I'll tell you. I'm going to fix it so you won't run around with anyone else. Nobody will want you. I can't believe I ever did. God, I was an idiot. He picked up a discarded wine bottle that lay against the stone foundation of the adjacent building and held it in front of her face. Look at this, you bitch. I'm going to bust the bottle and cut your pretty face into shreds. You'll be so ugly, people will vomit. Nobody will want you ever again. If you tell anybody who did this, me and my buddies will come down here and cut the rest of your body into little pieces and kill you, got that?" Misty lay on the ground, and the cold seemed to seep in through every pore in her skin. She was shivering, and every organ in her body seemed to churn. She was afraid she'd wet herself. The problem was she believed every word he said. She knew he could kill her. Probably without a single regret, her eyes expanded to the size of half dollars as she tried to focus on him in the fading light. All her instincts shouted that she should do something, anything, or she was going to die. Her natural impulse was a scream, but she realized if she did, he'd kill her in an instant. She saw that she couldn't crawl into the dumpster, it was too low to the ground. The alley wasn't very wide, and he and the dumpster blocked any escape. The back of the alley was a dead end, blocked by a building that fronted the street behind. The building did, however, have a metal service door. She thought that she could somehow get to it, and scream, and pound on it. He might run away, or maybe somebody would open it before he had the time to kill her. She tried to buy a little time. Please, I can I can explain, Sam. It wasn't what you think, she said as she struggled to get off the cold, snowy ground. She got up on her hands and knees and lifted her head to plead with them. At that moment, he brought the bottle down hard on her forehead. She keeled over sideways. Her head hit the asphalt with a hollow splat. Her body crumbled to the ground. She lay still. Monday evening, Schuyler's. Shard was sorely tempted to return to his office but weakened and went to Schuyler's to think with a scotch and a camel. O'Reilly was lounging behind the bar. "'Glad to see you, Lieutenant.' I bought you a new bottle of single malt this afternoon. You're a good man indeed. What is it? I've never heard of it, but you may have. Caperdonich, This little gem, according to my distributor, O'Reilly held the bottle up a safe distance from Shard's grasp, is the connoisseur's choice. See, it says so right here. I see they left off the possessive. If the distillery can't handle the English language, can we trust it to make decent scotch? Shard's mouth watered. O'Reilly slowly read the promo on the label. Shard was close to a drool. Exactly what I need, O'Reilly. I'll have four fingers, plus any lanyap you feel obliged to include. Oh yeah, with two ice cubes, please. The barkeep opened the bottle with amazing slowness and poured the amber liquid ever so carefully down the side of the glass. As if he were underwater. O'Reilly ambled over to get an ice cube. If he doesn't speed this up, I'll kill him, Shard thought, and dump his body in Steuben's alley. Here you are, lieutenant, in your daily camel allowance as well. Even if you don't like it, you have to drink the whole bottle. I don't have many single-malt drinkers in here, you know. Shard carried his glass over to the moosehead to massage his taste buds and think. The case pivoted on Albany, not Smytheville or Lyden. His instincts told him that. All he had to do was untangle the people and the money from the worst that included the Albany Bank, the ULC, the Casino Corporation, Landry, Wittry, Lee, and God knows only whom else. Somewhere in that knot was the thread that would lead him to Steuben's alley. He was close to it. He could sense it in his bones. Well, well, if it isn't the local fuzz, unwinding after a hard day's work chasing murderers, Whittry said. How's my favorite detective doing on clearing up that heinous crime that besmirches the fair name of our town? Shard wondered if Whittry had been in the bar for hours already. Nobody could string that many gerunds together in two sentences, and he also sounded more offensive than usual. Making progress, my legal beagle. The pieces have begun. The pieces have begun to fit. And when we get the last one, we'll nail the guy. Shard never took his eyes off Wittry, who sat in the chair opposite. And if you had been truthful, my friend, we'd have solved it much earlier. Shard saw that he'd touched a nerve. I don't know what you mean. I told you everything I know. Yeah, you're an exemplary public citizen, Whittry. You've told me only what I already knew, and have gotten cagey whenever I ask you anything else. Say, for example, the details on Mr. Lee. Even a lawyer can see that your relationship with Lee, as you describe it anyway, lacks verisimilitude. There's either more or less to your business dealings with Lee, and mark my word, I'll find out. But you could save the county a lot of money if you tell me now. Wittry's expression showed he wished that he were anywhere but in his conversation. I've told you everything. You wanna involve me in this murder? And that ain't gonna work, deputy. I told you, I don't know Lee. And I don't know Landry, and I don't know anything about the killing. What else can I say? What would you say if I told you I have a very strong circumstantial evidence that you did know Landry, and that you were in a financial deal with him? Whittree's blanch was almost imperceptible, but Shard caught it, and the lawyer's comeback was a little slow for him. That's a crock, and you know it. Circumstantial means nothing in a court of law. The D.A. won't touch a case especially against the member of the bar, based on that kind of evidence. There's nothing to tie me to Landry, circumstantial or otherwise. You're pissing up the wrong tree. Whittree's eyes darted to the bar, desperate for anyone he could use as an excuse to bolt. In my experience, Shard said, circumstantial evidence tends to become proof, harder than the ice in the town pool. That's going to happen in this case, and when it does, we shall continue this friendly conversation. Witchery was well out of his chair by the time Shard finished his sentence. He didn't even fire a parting shot. As he strode away, he reminded Shard of how cats stomp when they're angry. I'm closing in on a little weasel, he thought. Monday evening, the sergeant's office. Periwinkle and Johnson hunkered down in their office around Periwinkle's PC. Their office was smaller than Shard's, but it had two chairs. The Remington Rand steel case desks, colored in the requisite institutional gray to add gaiety to the place, were pushed together face to face. Periwinkle hated the arrangement because she had the sneaky suspicion that Johnson off had stared at her through his eyelashes when he pretended to read something on his desk. "We're making progress," he said. Periwinkle nodded. "That's what kept Piarney going in the great North Atlantic storm." He believed he was making progress. He believed, and look what he found. I'll bet he didn't find out a damn thing about the United Land Company. He couldn't read or write. That's why he stood in a tubby little boat in the middle of the Atlantic and wondered if he were going to capsize and send them straight to hell. You're learning, Periwinkle. Someday you'll love these stories just as much as I do. Look at this, my seawater-sogged friend. Here are the ULC's incorporation papers, signed and with the state seal on it. Pretty, don't you think? What's what's really pretty is that they give us the names of the guys behind the company. That's what the boss wants, and their addresses. Anthony Vito, Joseph Pippi, Alphonse Spinello. Notice they're all Italian, she said. Are all Italians named Tony or Joe? Johnson's breath brushed her left ear as he looked over their shoulder to read the computer screen. Alphonse isn't, she said. Yeah, I bet he's Alfie. Not much better. This is interesting. Two of them gave their business addresses, while Mr. Peepy, like Lee, lives in a post box. There's a lot of that going around in this case. Vito owns a car wash, imaginatively named Vito's Car Wash. Spinella owns a restaurant, Little Italy. Did you ever hear one called Big Italy? Greater Italy. Huge Italy. Pay attention, Periwinkle said as she printed off the page of names and addresses and scrolled a couple of pages farther into the charter. Look at this. The ULC is capitalized at 750000 That's not chicken feed. Do they make that kind of money out of car washes, restaurants, and post office boxes? Yeah. But did they pay that much in, or did they just put down the first number that came to mind? They're buying land. They have to have some capital." See if you can get copies of their business licenses for the car wash and the restaurant. Easy. Here. Vito's car wash. Vito signed right there. And his address is? Good grief. Spinello's restaurant. Do these guys all live in a nest like wasps? Or is this the Italian version of incest? This is weird, Periwinkle said. Look at the bottom of the page. Vito doesn't hold the deed to his car wash. The First National Bank of Albany does. The bank washes cars and sends the money to Whittree to pay for Lee's land purchases. The boss is going to love this. It can't get much murkier. Check on Spinello's joint, Johnson said. Bet he lives in the car wash with Vito or the post office box with Peepy. How do these guys propagate if they're all living together in these little places? There are two restaurants called Little Italy in the county. Now that's strange. How do people tell them apart? "'One is little, and the other is littler Italy, I suppose.' "'I can hear families ask, "'Do you want to go to the small Italy or the smaller Italy?' "'The wife replies, "'I feel like a smaller boot tonight.' "'Oh, shut up, Johnson, and read this. "'I hate to say it, but you're almost right. Spinello lives in the postbox with Pepe, "'but more interesting, look at who holds his mortgage. "'Let me take a wild guess.' Not the First National Bank of Albany, by chance. Yep, the same people who loaned Landry a $100,000 and sent money to Whitry. You ought to check to see if the First National lives in the post box with P.P. and Spinello. That little bugger is getting crowded. Can you break into the state's record to see if anybody squeezed into that box has a police record? That's so easy, even you could do it. If you moved away from my ear, your breath tickles. Johnson was astute enough not to relate ear-breath to some obscure Norse deity's sexual proclivities. He'd moved millimeters away to make her happy, any farther, and he couldn't see the screen. Besides, he loved the smell of her hair. He was tempted to ask what her shampoo was, but he thought better of it. Here's Spinello, oh, very nice, a wonderful, upstanding citizen. Arrests for loan-sharking, running numbers, and gambling. Four convictions. Serve time in Sing Sing, although not much. Evidently, he was a model prisoner. I hope Landry didn't borrow money from him. He sounds seriously mobbed up. That's why he didn't spend much time in the joint. Those, hire, those guys hire good lawyers and pay them well. They also have ways to collect their debts. They're not stupid enough to kill their debtors, Johnson. What would they gain? Vito's record is coming up. Also arrests and convictions for loan sharking and gambling. No numbers. But Vito spread his net a little wider, breaking and entering, assaulting with a deadly weapon, and second-degree manslaughter. Also a graduate of our spa at Sing Sing. Vito didn't serve much time either. If you read between the lines, it's clear that he murdered somebody. Gently, it appears. Perry Winkle's fingers danced across the keyboard. I can't find anything on PP in the post office box. Nothing. Not even a speeding ticket. How did someone so clean get mixed up with these guys? Is he the money man, Johnson asked? Maybe he brought cash into this. Spinello and Vito sound like second raiders, not the types to have three-quarters of a million dollars to speculate in Mohawk County land. I agree. Peepee doesn't seem cast from the same mold. Johnson walked around the desks, and Perrywick was happy to have her ear back. What assets would you want your money man to have? Money, she said. Besides that. A law degree to get me out of jail. Right. See if Pee Pee has a law license. Periwinkle came up with nothing. Not a legal not a legal PP not a legal Pee in the state. It's your turn. A CPA, maybe. Someone to keep or cook the books. Periwinkle repeated her digital manipulations. Yep, a CPA. Address listed at the same post box. PeePee hasn't raised his living standards working for the ULC. I wonder if he also works for our favorite bank. Wouldn't that be something? The boss will love this. The only thing I'd love at the moment is to fill my stomach. Did you notice it's almost 11 o'clock? Girls cannot live on hot breath alone. I'm out of here. Are you done? Well, since we're up to our necks in Italian culture, why don't we run out to Tony's Pizza and Spaghetti House and satisfy our cravings with delicacies from the greater Italy? It's a quiet place. He has red checkered tablecloths, you know. Johnson wondered why he had added that. Periwinkle accepted immediately. Johnson suspected hunger had overridden her natural hesit- hesitancy to go out with him. They chose a the table by the front window and ordered beers and the large vegetarian pizza periwinkle preferred. You did a great job tonight, Johnson said. The boss will be pleased, but I'm not sure what he's going to make of it. The whole case seems tightly wound, periwinkle said. It turns in on itself. What bothers me is that we're pretty sure that the ULC's connected, as they say. We have three guys behind it. We know it has some relationship with the casino company. But we don't understand how Landry, Wittry, and Lee fit in. They aren't even Italians. We have the parameters of the whole shebang. We just don't understand how it's put together. That's what the Kaiser pays Shard the big bucks to figure out, Johnson said as he lifted his beer. He has an uncanny ability to see the big picture and who fits where in it. The biggest question is where the murder fits. If Landry worked with these guys, why kill him? Also, the odds are high that they loaned him the 100000 and the killer must have known the murder would bring the cops down on him. Which brings us back to square one. Why leave the body in full view unless he wanted it found, Periwinkle said. They ordered another round of beers and stared out the window. I know you won't appreciate this, but your last question reminds me of a story my grandfather used to tell me. Periwinkle's face fell. She was afraid the Viking hordes might show up before her food, but the waitress appeared just as Johnson was about to launch his gnar. Boy, that was good, Johnson said after they had finished. He looked into Periwinkle's eyes for a moment and said, You are beautiful. She was speechless.